Get motivated, get educated, get growing your property empire with the How To Property Podcast with your host, Ryan Luke. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Uh, today, I am super excited. I have Spencer Grant with me, who is massively involved in the short-term rental space in various different ways, and we're going to dig into that fairly soon. Um, like most things of late, we met on Clubhouse and have struck a relationship up there, and um, you know we've continued to network behind the scenes, and, and we've got very... Similar businesses, but also very different businesses. So, Spencer, first and foremost, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Ryan. And uh, good to be here in the studio. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we are streaming this live as well. So, if anyone does want to ask any questions as we're uh, going for either myself or Spencer, please just type them up and we'll get them answered for you. So, uh, so Spencer, just a bit about yourself. Do you want to just tell the audience a bit of background, how you started, and predominantly what you do as a business? For sure. We started about five years ago, and we it's, it's, it is a long, complicated story, um, but bottom line is I basically fell into the business, and I was renting an apartment in Chelsea. I was traveling at the time. I had a different business. It was a really bad, unsuccessful business, which we can get into another time, but basically, I asked the landlord if I, if I could rent the property on Airbnb, and he said, no problem at all. So I very quickly went to Ikea. I got with the furniture. I came back. I was building it myself. I had a, someone I drafted in. We were sort of doing it ourselves. Uh, I got a photographer in. I got it listed. I hadn't done anything like this before. And the rent was £1,800 a month. And it was, a, it was like everything to me at the time. And basically, I put it on. Within a few days, I had it booked for about uh, 10, 12 nights. And that actually had paid for the whole month. So I was really acute to the fact that I couldn't, you know, wow, you know, that sort of, it really did happen quickly. I think the first day I didn't get any bookings and I was really sort of worried. And then I think day two, day three, day four, it really sort of sparked some interest. And and um, we just grew from there, really. I And my brother came on board. He had an estate agency background. And we just basically thought, okay, let's, you know, move out. Let's keep it going. Let's go get, you know, property number two, property number three, number four. And actually, my story is that my second property, I got it. And within a week, I was already, I'd surrendered the tenancy. So I was in, I had huge drama took place. It was just horrible. And then we were out again. And then it was, it was, um, it was a really, you know, funny story, but we'll go into into that. But, um, and then I grew, grew the business. We took on more units. We eventually took on some buildings. Um, we we cornered uh, some of the market around Belgravia, Soho, uh, Marlebone, Paddington in central London. And it was during the summer of, uh, I believe, 2018 that I had some housekeepers working for me full time. We had about 35 units or so. And they were sort of really not doing a lot because people in summer were coming for sort of two or three weeks. So they were really sort of standing around a lot of the time. It really was like there's no cleans tomorrow and there's sort of five housekeepers. So I thought I really need to get a cleaning business set up to try and at least offset some of these costs. And what happened was actually I was bidding on a building in Victoria for 14 flats at the time. And I actually lost out to a firm from America who actually beat me to it, which I was really upset about. 
And I found those flats on Airbnb when they listed them not too long later. So I found them on Airbnb. I sent them a message on Airbnb and said, we really would love to talk to you about cleaning because I've got housekeepers. We've sort of grown, you know, grown and we've got really good team. And they actually said, yes, come and have a chat with us. And um, turned out to be this American firm called Sonda, who had raised 100, 200 million at the time to take over the market, which I don't know about you, but, you know, 100 million to raise is, is a lot of money. And, uh, you know, I'd sort of struggled to raise anywhere near sort of 1 million. <laughs> I haven't. So, <laughs> so it was sort of, um, wow, you know, it was really one of those moments. And I guess we met, we, we met, we met them and um, they said their plan is to get 500 flats in London. And their plan is to take on someone like us who can do cleaning. We can start to do some linen. We can do toiletries. We can start delivering things. And really, it was a case of let's just do it. You know, let's really. We, we it was a bit of you know we can do it, even though we weren't entirely sure what we were getting into. But actually, um, they have grown to get hundreds of units. We have grown with them, and now we've got what is essentially quite a large cleaning business, and we've won. A really good amount of business off the back of just having them as a client and so that's what we've got now we've got a really good cleaning linen business and then we've got on the other side the short-term rentals which actually as I told you before we've reduced the number of those and luckily so um so actually it's it's a very sustainable where it's at actually I'm sort of had a very um it's been a tough year but it's also been a bit of you know, breathing space compared yeah. to how bad it could have been. And um, and that's where we are at, really. And, and yeah. Actually, um, yeah, that's where we're at. Cool, cool. It's interesting that because I also have a clean and linen business, which we s- sell out to Airbnb hosts. Because that part of it, people don't realize how important that part of the job is. I mean, it is, it is probably the most important part of the job. Um, and a lot of hosts struggle to either just keep the cleaner pinned down and, you know, keep the regular clean or give them enough work to keep them interested and motivated. So I kind of spotted that gap up here and we actually then, you know, put that service out as well to other people. Um, my portfolio is probably the other way around where I do a lot more of my own stuff than clean and linen for other people. But, um, you know, you, you're sort of showing there that entrepreneurial spirit of someone's dangling a contract in front of your face and you're like, yeah, we can do this, you know. And um, you might not have had the infrastructure in place to do it, but you knew you could do it. And as as people do in, in, our, in our world and as entrepreneurs, you kind of figure it out by solving your problems along the way. Um, you know, so that's awesome to hear that. So in terms of just coming back, obviously you mentioned offline that you, you, you reduced your portfolio down uh, once the pandemic hit and um, I think London probably has suffered a lot more than most cities in terms of uh, the short-term rental space. I think we have continued to, you know, make make money from contractor work and in, in, in most of our cities, but London does seem to have been affected the most. So um, you scaled it down. Is there an intention to scale it back up once this is all over? Absolutely. And whether that's... Um... Whether that, I mean, London has been fantastic for cash flow and it really sort of will come back, I believe. Initially, when I got rid of some units at the back end of 2019, it really was sort of December, January. My plan was, why do I have to go through such a bad winter when I can just sort of scale up again in April or May and see how things go? And as it happened, the biggest sort of crash happened in sort of February, March. So that was my idea was 
why don't I look at scaling up again at the right time? And for me, I've taken properties all throughout the year and even on Christmas Eve. And um, I, I took a property and I just thought the right time has always been for me around April, May. Mm-hmm. So why don't I just wait until then? So ultimately, I'm looking at this year and thinking now is sort of the time to sort of look at scaling up or is it going to be focused on a bit more of the other side of the businesses, grow the cleaning business, but also equally I'm looking at buy-to-lets and property development, things like that. So I'm sort of thinking maybe this year is a year for me personally to grow my own you know, personal development, education, grow maybe the, the buy-to-let portfolio, and maybe next year would be the time for me to scale up. Also, it'd be really interesting, I think, to see how summer and sort of, you know, the coming months are for London. And I don't know if I want to be so exposed again, you know, straight away. Yeah, I'm assuming the, the properties that you give back were on a rent-to-rent strategy. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, it does. I think it puts the fear into most people that rent-to-rent. But done done right, you know, you can make, you know, really good amounts of money. I know, you know, again, we've talked about, you know, you had quite luxury stuff as well, didn't you? Some high-end stuff and, and you, you know, that type of stuff can generate good money but at the same time it can um the, the rents are, are a lot higher than general stuff so just digging into your i guess your cleaning linen service because i see your instagram pictures with you know all the you know running around london and um how how do you manage all that how does you know obviously if you're cleaning 500 plus properties how what goes on behind the scenes of that business i think what i think um what goes on behind the scenes at my position in the business is I take a bit more of a high level. So for me, I've always been a bit more, I know it sounds a bit more, I know it sounds a bit silly, but it's a bit more like a CEO style role, which is not like a managing director role. It's more, I'm a bit more high level. So I'm a bit more making sure the clients are all okay, chatting to the clients, being friendly with the clients, making sure the housekeepers are all okay, making sure, where we where our direction is is sort of just you know i'm not sort of day to day so much yeah i'm a lot more high level so how it's split is i'm at that sort of higher level elliot would be a bit more logistics tracking numbers invoicing um although you know accounting he has an accounting background so and i i just can't do it you know it's just not my area uh, I can't get my head around some of these, you know, I'm good with numbers, but I just can't get my head around VAT, for example. It's just not me. So it's really useful to have him there to sort of deal with that side. It's, you know, but for me, it's about um, making sure everyone's happy. The clients are happy. We're taking on, you know, new business where we're exposed to those opportunities. And Elliot's obviously a bit more ingrained within it. And then in terms of a day-to-day side, um, We've got a housekeeping manager. She manages almost everything in terms of schedule, where the girls need to be, and that side of things. And actually, the one thing I forgot to mention was the drivers, and that's something Elliot manages, which is their routes, their sort of schedule. So typically what we do is we have, and we've also got the warehouse as well, but the, but the housekeeping manager manages the ladies in the warehouse. So Elliot would manage by about 3 or 4 p.m., he would be seeing how tomorrow is looking, and that's sort of about the cutoff. And then he's planning 
within some software, we've got the most effective route for the drivers. And really, it's just got to a point where it's quite simple. We know the drivers are working tomorrow. They know the buildings they're going to. We know what we're delivering to. We know where we're cleaning. And so it all gets prepared in the warehouse today, ready for tomorrow. So that's so when, you, when, when you say the route, so is your, your vans are dropping the fresh linen off for the cleans at the same time that they're about to clean? Or, or do you kind of store stuff in, in each kind of block in each unit? We're very lucky that a lot of the buildings we deliver to have storage. Oh, yeah very fortunate that it's not you know wait for the housekeeper so basically it's waiting it's them you know they start at five in the morning and they'll be going around so you know if they've got 25 or 20 buildings to go to there's there, there needs to be a um a really effective route that they actually sort of go around you know if that kind of makes sense yeah because uh you know it could be all across london really so they'll start at five in the morning they'll finish probably early afternoon and that's timed with what needs to be delivered first. And then that's also got to be balanced against who's checking out early or things like that, really. So there is a bit of a system to it. And again, it's just, it really is one of those things that I'm pleased I don't really get involved with. Um, it's just a case of I've looked at what I really enjoy doing in the business. Yeah. And I've just always really enjoyed winning the clients and managing the clients and networking and things like that. And actually, that's just not really what Elliot necessarily enjoy it you know so it worked um i've been there i think after about my third guest phone call i realized that i didn't really want to deal with guests but i yeah. uh i did uh i did like obviously the rewards that the airbnb game you know yeah i was a bit like yourself the minute i put the first one on you know booking after booking after booking and, and you're just amazed by the whole thing but quite quickly i realized you know i, I don't want to be organizing cleaners i don't want to be managing linen companies and and all that sort of stuff so i um i am much better suited to creating ideas for the business and building relationships of the business as opposed to actually running the operations of the business and i think the sooner you realize that in your business um and figure out who is right for those type of roles i think the quicker you do tend to grow um, because i know I, I certainly did at the beginning i tried to do everything myself for far too long and it actually hinders your growth as opposed to help but when you do realize that you know stepping out and being able to work on the business here all the time work on the business not in the business but you don't really understand it until i think you get to that point i've done the van driving i've done cleaning i've done the packing the linen i remember these times at midnight packing linen for the following morning it, you know it's i've been there i've done it you know every single part of it when i had my first um I had a few van drivers and, you know, you get to know the ones that let you down. And when they let you down, I remember waking up every morning at about four or five in the morning, waiting to see who's going to let me down and what I'm then going to have to jump in and do. And it's a horrible, horrible feeling every night. You can't sleep effectively because you're having to wake up at four or five. And this is to deliver linen. I mean, it's like you sort of do have those moments where you turn around and think, God, this is not the sort of business I was looking at growing, you know, a linen sort of business. And, but the thing is, is you have to really be resilient knowing that I'm better than this. I, I, I'm just going to have to smash it out and start looking at interviewing van drivers the moment I'm finished with my deliveries. And you're sort of uh, putting out fires, you know, and that's just um, what it what it is, you know. And I remember hiring um, 
sorry, interviewing a van driver, thinking he's the one, and he went and crashed a zip van in front of me into a bollard. And, uh, you know, you just sort of have those moments where you're just like, oh, my God, you know, like, I can't believe this is sort of, you think you found someone, and then that happens, and you think, you know, but but they're, they're just moments that test you, really. Yeah, yeah. So how do, um? because, you know, working in that space understanding cleaners linen and all that sort of stuff you do get let down a lot you know it's you know with with the greatest respect they're not the most um high paid jobs and um unfortunately i think most of them are, you it would be fair to say are not that money driven so mm-hmm. you know they whenever a friday night comes around and they decide they want to go out you know the, the 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 threat of a loss of job doesn't really kind of inspire them to to do more and and yeah. and and they're the ones that let you down, but it's always it's always those ones I find that it's always at a point where you could really do without them letting you down. You know, yeah. it's not like a random Tuesday where you're not that busy and you could potentially just get one of the other cleaners to sort sort out some. It's always like you know a Sunday or a or a you know just a crucial turnover day mm-hmm. where you need all hands on deck. Um, how mm-hmm. do you kind of obviously managing over five hundred properties? How do you how do you plan for that now, knowing what you know? I'm really fortunate that the housekeeping manager who manages it all has been with me since the start. And she, we were just really effective in making sure we have Facebook groups, we have WhatsApp groups, we have people that we can call upon at any time, no matter what. So actually, um, the truth is really is that we have a certain number of full-time housekeepers, yeah. but actually we have a lot of part-time and that just really works well. And out of the part-time, we then have a huge number of people we can just call upon at any one time. And really, to be honest, um, we haven't actually had any issues in the last, really, since we started. I think the main protagonist for that is the fact that we can't fail. You know, we have to like really go to the, to whatever lengths we have to go to, to make sure we cannot let our clients down. Mm-hmm. And that's just one of the fundamental things that we've, we've sort of, had to think about so we haven't we've always made sure no matter what we we have people we can call upon no matter what you know and i I think actually the van driving thing is actually much harder to nail than the than the um cleaning side you know to call upon a couple of cleaners is not as difficult as okay let's find a van driver for tomorrow who knows london but equally we need to trust him and he needs to be able to drive a van. He needs to know exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. That was for sure the hardest part of anything we've done is being let down by the van drivers. It's really tough to nail that side of the business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, if someone asked me to drive around London, I'd just be like, <laughs> yeah, I'd be down the wrong street, one-way roads. I'd be getting lost. I'd be getting caught in traffic. Yeah. And- is that why you start at 5 a.m. for them? So they just miss all the traffic? Is that is that the intention of the early start? Where it worked really well was where we had nighttime drivers as well. Yeah. And they used to love doing that. You know, they start at sort of 10 p.m., for example, 9 p.m., and they'd finish at 2 a.m. And they would just have a really quiet, productive shift. So we've done that, and that worked really, really well. The 5 a.m. is for, well, at the moment, we just, chaps who do it they just work in the mornings but also actually the reason as well is we do have timed deliveries we do have clients we have to deliver between you know like it's like yourself for example my checkout's 11 housekeeper's there i need the delivery between 11 30 and 12 30 mm-hmm. we have those as well so we do have to be around during the day as well 
So they start early to get the ones we can get out the way at five, six, seven, eight in the morning finished. Yeah. And then we've got our timed deliveries probably between 10 and 2, for example. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I guess as it evolves, you've got to, as your client base evolves, you've got to appeal to all, haven't you? And then your business kind of, so you've got every intention of, okay, that's how we operate. But then you get a, a, a decent sized client. And they're like, well, actually, I need it at this time. You're like, okay, well, we'll kind of have to do that. So, um, but yeah. The but worst yeah. one is where you have the clients that says, I've got 30, and we've done this before. We, we've got 30 is quite low. I mean, we've got 50 properties. They're all across London, East London, North London, West London. And we need it between 10 to 1 o'clock. And there could be any times across London. So East London, we've got to be there between 10, 30, 11, 30. But then someone's got to be in Kew Gardens for 11, 30 to 12, 30. And you've really got to sort of plan that. because yeah. that, And you've really got to make sure that the clients know when the driver's there, he has two, three minutes to deliver that and take the dirty. Otherwise, we're in big trouble. And we can see it on our system of our software where you can see it in green if he's going to make the next one on time and it goes red if he's not going to. And you really can start to see the greens. And that's why I've woken up before and seen everything red. And that's where it's, I have to jump in a van. You know, it's yeah. like today's going to be a disaster and there's traffic. So we're lucky that we found some really good software that we can plug in every address. It will say what times you need to be at that address. Then it will tell you the most effective route. And then it will say when the driver starts, it will sort of show he's at number one. And then it will sort of show if it's green, if he's going to make it to sort of the next one. And that's the one where you sort of, you don't want to wake up and see all the reds. Really. <laughs> you need to invest in some drones and just get the drones to drop them off. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> so Amazon, I think we we're talking about that, weren't they? Like just dropping parcels off in people's back gardens on drones, but I'm sure they'd get shot down quite a lot. But uh, yeah, you know, the linen would be really heavy, wouldn't it? And, yeah. and the wet towels as well. Would... Yeah, the, the, see the, it uh, the drone though. The wet towels just stunk <laughs> on top of it. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a business within itself. And I think a lot of people when they scale these short-term rental businesses kind of probably don't give it enough credit of what they actually need to put together. I mean, I found out the hard way, but in in a like everything, I I I think you know something always good comes out of a bad situation, and we had we scaled uh, you know very quickly. And um, my cleaner company, as they do, yeah, we can handle as many. Just keep giving us them, keep giving us them. And I kept saying them, "Are you sure? You know, there's only two of yours. Oh, we'll get we'll recruit some staff and this and that and the other." And um, and then I got a text on a Saturday night, just let you know we're not going to clean your properties anymore. And I think we had something like. 35 changeovers on the Sunday oh you know? and uh, and most of the time we would then have contractors coming in on the Sunday night to mm-hmm. stay for the week so we couldn't exactly just close the properties down for a day oh so um, my now logistics manager um, she uh, I found her and uh, she was doing a few odd bits and bobs for me at the time and um, and she rallied around a load of cleaners a bit like you know what you're talking about your logistics manager she just had a phone book full of people she had her own sort of cleaning business at the time and and she just rallied them around and we got the job done and um so we're very similar now we have kind of our core group who will give the majority of the work to and then we have our part-timers who you know not everyone wants full-time jobs you know you've got to remember a lot of these people play the benefits game don't they where if they get so many hours they lose their benefits and things like that as well so um some of them just want 
a job to, you know, fit in between dropping the kids off at school and, and picking yes. them up. And, um, you know, so we, we, we're very similar there in the fact that we've got our crew and then we've got our people we can rely on. If we get yeah. too busy, they can drop in. And they're more than happy to, you know, I see the wages go up something like, it's like £22 a week and things like that. And you're like, they've literally done two jobs or maybe even one job, you know, yeah. but they're happy just getting that. And and and, and then so, so it does work. But I think the downside is they always tend to be the ones that maybe drop the ball a bit and, Yes. Whenever you look into a customer complaint, you look at who's actually cleaned it and it might be the part-time one. That's either just not as familiar with doing it day-to-day or maybe just aren't as invested in the business as as your core group because it is a job for them, you know. And I, I think that's one of the downsides of having that model. But I, I can't really figure it another way out of doing it, in all fairness. And I think having that core group is is so imperative to having a really good baseline as to what you can actually – you know, you can sleep at night. You sort of know I've got my team, keep them close, you know, and all you can do is try and build upon the part-timers and try and just sort of slowly build a bit of more of a network. The hard part is you want to sort of get loads of part-timers and then only use a few of them, but have them there. But the problem is they want the work. So it's, it's are they going to be there when you need incentivized, them? isn't it? You know, like keeping them motivated to know that there's jobs coming and, uh, mm. you know, we've just lost... So we've got a bit of a remote property out out by itself, and uh, we had a, a great team up there. But it's just been as as we hit the winter months, it goes quiet. It is a tourist destination, so we kind of work off the highs and just expect nothing in the lows. But unfortunately, they're like, I'm not getting anything here. I need something like month to month, you know. And we just got nothing for them. But then in the summer, there's like two changeovers a week, and it's it's busy, yeah. you know, for a good three four months, and. Uh, so you really need someone, but then because it's such a remote location, it's hard to find them out there. So, um, but you know, you, you figure it out. You manage, as you say. You even if you've got to pull people from different cities to drive over and do it and pay a bit extra, that's what you've got to do, isn't it? So, um, so what? Um, obviously, you've kind of touched base on it. Um, you, you, you're maybe not entirely sure where you're going this year, but um, what if? If the market does pick up in London short-term rental space, is that something you'll be diving in straight away, or are you quite focused on on the buy? I think I'd take on more management properties first to see the market. I don't know if I want to expose myself so much to last time. I was exposed to a huge level at one point. Like my exposure was in the hundreds of thousands, mm. um, you know, per per month. Sometimes it was just ridiculous really when you sort of look look around I used to tell people and they sort of wouldn't quite believe what I'm doing and I sort of you don't realize but it's really easy when you sort when you get to sort of 10 it's really easy to get to 12 the hard part is obviously getting from 1 to 10 so getting from 10 to 12 and then 15 and then 20 it doesn't feel like you're taking on too much Mm -hmm. when they tick over but actually the numbers do really stack up and, and sort of you do turn around sometimes and think wow, you know, I've really got to sort of perform and every month you're really sort of performing and then you're putting out fires and all sorts. So I don't know if I want to be so exposed yet. I think with the volatility, I think I just need to see how this pans out. And I think the best way to do that for me would be to take on some management flats. Uh, I've got a few, they work really well for the landlords. So I'm just thinking, let's just take on maybe a few more of those first, really. Yeah. Yeah. The management model is, I think it's something you've got to, you've got to have done the rent to rent to get your experience to be able to do the managed, in my opinion. You know, you can't be managing someone's property if you haven't got the experience. But 
when you do know how to drive money into a property using this strategy, then for an investor, you know, it is the uplift is is far greater than running it as a tenant uh, tenancy. So, you know, when you can sell that message, uh, it's a great win win situation for both parties, and I think. Mm-hmm. It, it, it helps you de-risk your portfolio whilst creating cash flow, um, mm. increases the investor's cash flow, which keeps them very interested. And then what I what I tend to find is they might try with one, two or five units and then all of a sudden say, oh, well, actually, I've got a few more and, and my mate's also got some. And, you know, and then you end up scaling. So whilst you're – if you did it on rent to rent and it works, you would uh, earn more money for sure than mm-hmm. doing a managed service. But I think with the managed – because you do a great job for the investor, they want to give you more stock. So you end up probably, I think, around the same sort of money because you might get five rather than one. And, and then you'll also take less money anyway. You know, you're sort of you don't mind a little bit less of a of a um, return because you're not really taking on too much. The, you're not taking any risk. I think where it worked really well for us is where we'd say to a landlord who has a few buildings, just give us one. We'll show you what we can do. Mm. We'll furnish it. As soon as we get a return, we'll take our money out from the furnishings, but you'll ultimately own the furniture. <clears throat> and they like that because it shows, you know, we're willing to put a couple of grand in for furniture straight away. Yeah. That's what they yeah. want to see. They want to see you're not just going to sort of sit on their property and take it on, you know, it's sort of, look, we'll furnish it for you. We'll do it all. You'll see, you know, a really good return. As soon as we get the money back for the furniture, it's your furniture. Yeah. And you can stay there whenever you like. So, they like that, I think. Yeah, we're, we're kind of we're doing that in Dubai at the minute because it's very uh, Dubai is a very what's a stubborn place, should we say? Right. So <laughs> landlords out there are very much want everything. They want the cake and they can eat it, you know. And yeah. um, so it's the the only good thing at the minute out there is the rents have almost half to what they used to be, sort of six yeah. seven years ago. So there's a lot of investors who might have bought around that time. And we're getting double the amount of rent that they're now getting. And the property prices have fallen as well. So there's plenty of advantages, but we do still get empty properties. And then they, they you know, we, we sort of say, we'll, 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 we'll back it in a similar sort of way. We'll furnish it, get it going and prove to you that it's worth. I think the the upside on the, people might be listening and thinking, well, why would you spend two, three grand? And then obviously if it doesn't work, the upside, if, it's, if it doesn't work, you you own that furniture because you've originally paid for it. So you've actually got an asset, fair yeah. enough, depreciating, depreciating asset. But so it is like, it's not total dead money. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just think a good mixture of it all. And I think with the management side, you can scale a lot quicker as well because well, if you came to me and said, Ryan, I've got 15 flats in an apartment and I want a grand a month for them, I'd be about like, okay, 15 grand, okay, 180 grand a year rent. You know, and you start thinking those numbers. Whereas if, if we struck a deal up and I, and you said, but I, I actually just want you to manage them and I'll, I'll take and you get to pay your fee, you're like, okay, fine, let's do it. You know, yeah. so you've, all, you, you've acquired 15 units where you might have hesitated to take it on a rent to rent. Just not so much the fact that you don't think it would work, yeah. just the fact, the hesitancy of, the risk of you know the, all the outlay as you're talking about you've got to cash flow your business yeah. um you know like what a, a lot of people don't is that like between the 26th of the month and the 10th of the following month for me is there's a, a shitload of money goes out my bank account you know and then from the 10th of the month to the 24th is when it predominantly builds it all back up again and comes back in 
Um, and and as you scale, you have to really get on top of it. it it's it's a business within itself. You've got to get on top of your cash flow. You know, making sure that you can support all these different periods of time throughout the month where you get these fluctuations in your 100%. in your cash. And I never uh, had the cash flow to begin with. I I um I put everything on my American Express to begin with. That's how we've done it. So I don't recommend it to anyone, but I was super geared on things like that. Like it was a charge card. It wasn't a credit card. So with the charge card, I'm not sure if you know, but you have to pay the balance in full. The next month, yep. So on the 27th, we take a new property. We pay rent and deposit. That's 10 weeks. If it's £700 a week, that's seven grand going on the charge card. Three grand on furniture. We're in for 10 grand straight away for six weeks' time. And that's how we started. And then it's a case of, okay, so we need to get it live, booked straight away. And we need to really get as much back of that 10 by the by when we've got to pay the balance six weeks later. Mm. And that's just how we sort of done it. We'd also have non-refundables come in. Sometimes you've got to take them for the future. People want to pay up front for the future. So, you know, that's where it worked well was where very quickly we're clawing back that 10,000 in revenue within that first six weeks yeah you see it's interesting i actually had a argument slash debate on facebook over the over this so i posted mm-hmm. around this saying i i'm actually in favor of maybe not a charge card scenario but definitely like a not percent credit card mm-hmm. over 18 months to get your property journey going like i don't see any harm in putting 10 grand on a not percent credit card over 18 months to get two or three units set up and then you just build in the repayment cost of that credit card into your operational expenses and then you pay off the credit card in full by month 18. You've paid no interest and you've set yourself a business up. Like I think that's using debt wisely. Um, I agree. The only thing I would say is, well, first of all, I didn't have a, didn't have that credit limit when I started (laughs) at all the 0%. So, you know, I'd love to find that, but I guess it was just a case of like making sure there's no issue with being so high on your credit limit. I think if you had a £20,000 credit limit and you could do 10000 and you're chipping away every month, that might look good on your file. I don't know if you max out on your credit and you're just making minimum payments. I would just sort of look into sort of yeah i I don't think you well i'm kind of saying you wouldn't make minimum payments because you'd be paying off so if you had 10 grand you divide that by 18 months whatever that payment is that's what you pay each month you know so so you're not just paying minimum payments you're actually paying so by the end of the 18 months it's gone you know that the the debt is paid off it's not a case of oh well i'm just paying a minimum payment then i get 18 months and i've still got 10 grand to pay off yes you know because the uplift in the profit is is great. So you might be earning five, six, seven hundred quid from a rent to rent deal a month. Well, if you're paying two hundred quid off your credit card but yep. and you're banking five hundred quid, then that's good debt. You know, you've yeah. you've used that debt wisely. And at the end yeah. of the eighteen months, not only will you have got going, you'll have built your portfolio, you'll have got your experience, and hopefully your business will have expanded because of that initial sort. Because it is about just getting into it, right? We're all we all fall into this in in various different formats. And many of the listeners are probably at that stage where they've got no properties and they're just trying to get that first one. And a lot of them might not have any funds. They're probably, you know, maybe in jobs and, you know, they, they kind of haven't got much surplus income, but they really want to do it and they've got the aspirations to do it. So, you know, it's just a case of using that to, to, to give you that opportunity to get kickstarted. Cause um, you know, we, 
we have been part of the the 24-hour marathons twice now and you listen to everybody's story around the world that is involved on that expert panel and let's be honest every single one of them are are making good money you know they've all got very good success stories and and they're all making good money and then you speak to anybody really that's in the in the game and they're all making good money from it so it is just a case of i think just getting over that first hurdle and being able to just get pay your way into the game basically is what it is and then and then getting from one to three units getting to three units is probably harder than getting from 10 to 20 Mm, yeah yeah all right let's get i call it the multiplier effect so i think your first one's always your hardest. And then yeah. it goes one to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16. And then after that, it's just, you know, you just get units thrown at you half the time. Um, you know, it's like, oh, I've got, you just get a random phone call on a Wednesday. Oh, I've got 15 units. I've heard you you do X, Y, and Z. Can you come and look at them? And yeah, no worries, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's building your brand, isn't it? That's building your brand and, yeah. and, and the marketing that comes from that. So, um, but yeah, Spencer, absolutely awesome to have you. Uh, do you have any questions or do you want to add anything? Um, that we haven't shared. Any how, saucy uh, stories? Saucy stories. <laughs> Actually, on the subject of uh, Dubai, one of my third properties was a uh, sub penthouse in Belgravia. And I had this really bad check in form that people would sign. And it was really not mobile responsive. God, it was so bad at the time. And um, it's really funny what you say about the whole, you know, the Dubai clientele. They really sort of, they want it. They sort of, they get it. And I didn't realize that. So, I sort of had this smoking policy where it's 500 pounds if you smoke inside the apartment and he comes in this shake and basically says, can I smoke? And I said, no, you can't, you know, it's a very high end apartment. It's a 500 pounds charge. I'm very sorry. You know, you can't pay. And he lights up a cigarette in front of me and goes, where do I pay? And I just, (laughs) You just couldn't even imagine that sort of situation happening. That just sort of sums it all up, doesn't it? Is okay, you know, where do I pay? And it's just he's lit a cigarette up in front of me. So it's it's a man. Have you have you been to Dubai? I haven't actually. All right, when you drive down Sheikh Zayed Road, which is like the main motorway, it's like a six lane motorway. There's a speed camera every mile. Every single mile is a speed camera. And over there, you don't get you do get you get these black points, but they don't really mean anything. It's not like a point system here. You just basically get fined. And each fine's quite lumpy. It's about 130 quid, or it used to be, so it's probably even more now. Um, the, the shakes would preload like 50 grand onto, a, onto their fine card and just like sit on the motorways at like 120 mile an hour from like Dubai to Abu Dhabi. Could cost them like five grand just to get there in speed and fines. And then you just see the cameras flashing like every mile that they're going on. It's, a, it's that, that sort of mentality where like money's just no object. So like whatever, I'm, I'll create my own rules and I'll live by my own rules. And, um, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but um, that, that's that's the way they operate. You know, when they've got so much wealth, <laughs> this is the market we sort of tapped into. Is they they sort of um, they book and the, the numbers are astronomical. And the first question they they ask is like, "Where's Harrods? How far from Harrods? You know, where's the, where's Edgware Road?" And you know, you sort of get all the same questions. So you, you sort of get to know where the best places are. But they really they really don't care. If they want it, they sort of get it. Mm. Um, so I was really sort of um, that really did open my eyes really and uh, into the sort of I mean that was my that was actually my second apartment after we lost our second apartment, which we lost inside a week. Um, How did that happen? So that was um, 
that was a Chelsea footballer's apartment. And the agent sort of came from Chelsea football ground and signed the documents. And, you know, it's your second apartment. So we were just so excited for it. And we signed, we got the keys, we furnished it, photographed it, and then listed it. And then I think that was in about two or three days. So within day four or five, someone was arriving. Someone had booked, they're coming. And it's like, wow, you know, keys on a Monday, people are in by Thursday, Friday. And actually the first night they stayed, they rang every doorbell on every apartment. So it's like a kind of outside thing where you yeah. can bust, flat, bust every flat. And that was the first night, the first guests. And we basically get a phone call the next day to say everyone woke up. Everyone's like, what's going on? It's sort of completely blown the doors open as to this Chelsea footballer's doing Airbnb now. And the freeholder basically said he wants some money to be quiet and, you know, sort of like he basically tried to extort. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The problem is, is that he tried to extort the footballer, but the footballer then phoned me and said, You're, you've got to sort of pay. <laughs> and um, this is a lot of money, you know, probably like close to six figures. Right. So obviously I'm sort of putting the rent and the deposit on the charge card. And I'm getting <laughs> phone call about two days later, four or five days later. I bought the furniture as well. So really was one of those moments where it's like, oh my God, like you just, you just don't know what to do really at the time. And you sort of, um, you're firefighting, aren't you? Yeah. So we surrendered the tenancy that week. So that was my story of in on a Monday, sort of out by Friday. <laughs> one week at B&B. <laughs> um, that really does just sum it up, you know, how, yeah. how you can't, you have to be really sort of acute. Yeah, I, I don't think you can, um, you can never you can never prevent someone's behavior when they're drunk. That's one thing you learn to realize with Airbnb. And not everyone has bad intentions. Listen, we've all been there. We've all had far too many once upon a time and done something we probably shouldn't have done. And it doesn't necessarily mean we're a bad human being. It's just that's what happens when you drink. And um, I think you've got to kind of emotionally remove yourself from that. But then in, in your, when you are working with blocks, you do have to probably try and go the extra mile and protect yourselves. And, um, I mean, something like that, you, you, you can't really protect yourself from it. You know, you obviously Jack the lad thought he was funny and he'd ring everyone's doorbells. You know, it's just it's one mm-hmm. of those things. I mean, had he not done that, you probably might still even have that place because it might have just been a one-off and then every single guest thereafter would be spot on, which most mm-hmm. guests are you know but um it, it's unfortunate i think the good thing about i i can imagine you went your initial thought was we've now got this furniture we need to find another property quick and uh you know because that's what you do and when people say oh well, what if it doesn't work and i buy all the furniture i'm like you just go and find another property and you move the furniture over you know it's your assets so um yeah. it's not it's not a it's not a wasted waste of money it's just you just move it and you move it into a different into a different unit but um that's what i mean so you're sort of um you're sort of just firefighting really i think the thing is is we we did do that we took out the furniture we gave it back but then we're left with furniture and a van and it's sort of okay let's take on a small garage put the furniture in okay now what you know we've got a garage and we've got one property but the (laughs) second but the next property was the one with the shake and that was a fully furnished one in belgravia and so that furniture couldn't go in. So, you know, you're sort of like, okay, you know, let's sort of take more of those, but let's also look at some unfurnished properties. And you're just really sort of firefighting in the early days. You've got to do what you've got to do to make make these things work. 
And uh, I think for anyone sort of listening or out there, I think one of the most important things is really just getting stuck into it before you sort of throw it over to a staging company or a management company or, you know, things like that. I think it's just really important to sort of do check-ins yourself, mm. see what check-ins like, you know. You need to understand how it works from A to Z, don't you? You know, on, on multiple turns. And then from that, you can decide, do I want to do this or do I want someone else to do it? You know, and, and what's my long-term plan from it all? But, yeah, I think understanding the ropes from the start to the finishes is, is super important. Um, you know, great, great point there. So, yeah. Spencer, I'm not going to take too much more of your time. Um, we've had a, an awesome 45 minutes here. I mm-hmm. hope the listeners have enjoyed it. Uh, as usual, if you have, please leave a review for myself and or Spencer. Uh, hit him up on Instagram, Facebook. Where can they find you? Yeah, Instagram. It's just my personal account. Um, Spencer Grant. Spencer, Spence underscore AG. Superb. And you are a regular hanger-out on Clubhouse these days as well, so people can I find am. you over there. <laughs> How are you finding it? Are you, in, are you enjoying it? I am, yeah. I am. I've decided the last week that I'm going to – I'm not going to run any of my own rooms anymore, um, and I'm only going to speak on rooms that have more than 100 in an audience um, okay. because Interesting. I'm finding that – it is great, and I think it serves a purpose now that we are in lockdown. But I can see that, you know, and I'm already starting to see it this last week or so, that it's starting to drag me away from yeah. probably more important stuff. Um, I think it's it's great to be in there, and the rooms that I'm in, uh, I get some great information for myself, um, which is, is one of the key reasons that I do it. And then I can add some value to, to those in the audience as well. But, you know, I've been finding that everyone's creating rooms and everyone's jumping about the place and and i just think you know rooms with audiences of 20s and 30s and it's it's more likely the same people that are actually listening to you in other rooms as well so you're like giving up an hour or two hours or even three or four hours a week doing these so i think as a as an entrepreneur and a business owner you've got to you've got to understand where your time's getting spent and making sure it's serving you and the business um as as, as, you've got facebook instagram linkedin clubhouse where do you spend your time like that's the that's one of the reasons why i sort of outsource these things because i just haven't got the time to you know nail linkedin twitter Mm -hmm. you know facebook i haven't got the time to that's the problem yeah no i'm I'm a big fan of outsourcing stuff um and you know and i think unfortunately i can't outsource my voice on clubhouse (laughs) so i'm gonna have to get involved now i do enjoy um the room i do on the morning i really enjoy and then um, that'll probably be it going forward, what's, I would imagine. What's sort of ROI for a minute? What makes you think actually that was a really good room out of interest? Um, the amount of uh, Instagram, like when we do the, like they say the twenty-four hour marathon, that's worthwhile mm-hmm. doing because uh, you know all day my Instagram is like, I'm listening to you. Can you help me with this? Um, I, I've got these properties. Can you analyze this? What about connecting on this? You know, so. When you're picking up business, and I think you find out through your basically starts with an Instagram direct message, um, that that kind of gives you the insight. Okay, this is a valuable room. Um, whereas, and, and that tends to have come from when there's large audiences. So that's kind of where I'm deciding on on that as a business model for me or a clubhouse model for me. Um, I will, uh, and I'll just say, oh, plays. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're about to have the influx of Android users. So um, I know that's in, in beta testing, and I think that's only a few weeks away from being rolled out. So 
that could then double all of the current rooms and then therefore make some of those rooms more valuable. And, you know, but as Clubhouse is, you can just dip in and dip out whenever you want. So you, I, I might change my strategy. But for now, that's kind of my strategy. How about yourself? I think the, I think the thing I've been really sort of like thinking about it quite a lot because I got a really good ROI from being three people in a room. And that made me realize that actually it's not necessarily about how many, and actually I get really bad ROIs from when they're sort of like, I've been in the rooms of three, 400 people and there's, you know, the people that sort of say, come and pitch your business and you sort of pitch it and I've done it and I pitched it and he said, drop me a DM, drop me a DM. They don't reply to the DMs, you know, Mm. I thought I've sort of spent a lot of time on stage and and I, I think where I really don't like it is where you've got 20 moderators and you've got 20 people on stage and you're at person number three. And after person number three speaks, the 20 moderators speak for 10 minutes. And actually I remember waiting over an hour to speak. And I thought I've spent an hour listening, which is fine, but any, everyone else on stage, I haven't really connected with. And you know, what am I doing? Sort of just sitting around on stage. So I thought maybe I'll create my own rooms where I can actually break down people far quicker i'm actually running a room i might be doing it today i done it last week i done it last week with isaac who i'm sure you know yeah and um i came up with this idea called the five questions networking and basically it doesn't actually matter how many people join the room the most important part is the people in the room come up on stage and they answer five questions from me and the way i'm doing it is I really want to understand who these people are. Are they going to be prospects? Are they going to have properties? Are they a landlord? How yeah. do I know that? How do you get to know that in two to three minutes? So I sort of asked five questions to really get into the detail of people. I've done it, done it last week, and I had 10 or 12 amazing conversations in under an hour, and people were opening up, and people were sort of, you know, you, you realize actually – I think a venture capitalist came on board and he's sort of like, he's, he's breaking down sort of like he's really going into his personal life and, but they're just answering five questions. And mm-hmm. then I'm following up with all the 12 of them and saying, thank you for answering five questions. Why don't we have a conversation offline? And so I've sort of got five or six people reply to me and say, Oh, it's such a great format. It's so different to normal. Sure. Give me a call and let's speak. And then you're sort of speaking to people, but, could you yeah. speak when you know a bit more about no that's powerful no that's that that, that is good. Saying to you sort of thing like if i said to you for example you know three people to the dinner table past or present who are you going to bring yeah my, i mean who, who who what's your answer <laughs> um who would i bring oh who would i bring it's a good question that um can I get back to you? Um, there's there's so many that that I would want I would want someone in in I would want someone who's probably a eight or nine figure business owner. Um, yeah. I would want someone who can entertain me, and okay. I would want um, probably a celebrity crush or someone that um, <laughs> that I just really want to like pick their brains about something. Um, <laughs> okay, sir. <laughs> So, so just before we go, so because I haven't spoke to you about this, so so there's that. So, if I said to you, "What's your favourite book?" Uh, right now, Clockwork. Okay. 
what is the one thing that's going to make you think I've had a really good 2021? Uh, doubling the size of my business and inspiring at least 100 people to do the same. Okay. What is the one thing you need at the moment to sort of make that happen? Um, is it in that, landlords? Is it investors? Is it just people with properties around your area? Yeah, I mean, I guess if I could choose just one, it would be developers with blocks of stuff. Okay, fine. Developers. And then one, two, three, four. And final thing is, what has been the hardest part of your lockdown period the last year? Like personally, for example, like have you? what's been the hardest challenges you've, you've faced? Um, I lasted 10 minutes with homeschooling, so that would probably be. So here's the thing. We've spent a lot of time speaking before, but actually in those five questions, if you'd have answered the three people, I've then found out your favourite book. And I always ask favourite book because anyone who recommends a book, I go and buy it straight away. So I'm going to buy Clockwork because why would I buy another book when no one's recommended it? You've recommended it. must be really good. Yeah. So you told me about the, the people you like to go for dinner with, the book, what's going to help you grow your business, who you're looking to connect with, and what your challenges have been. And that has told me more in two to three minutes than you could spend yeah. out on stage with yeah. me in these rooms. And it's so having, like having that was like, I had 12 people sort of answer those, 10 or 12 people. And it you sort of come, I sat back afterwards and spoke to Isaac and went, wow, like, I know a lot about these people. And they've only been talking for about three minutes. Yeah. Because who they bring to the table for dinner says a lot about who they are. The books. Yeah. going to help them in their business. And ultimately for me, it's how can I help you? So if you're looking to connect with developers, I need to keep that in my head. Think about that, you know, and that's just sort of how yeah, I yeah. about the idea really. So Who's the just, three people that you bring to dinner? No one's asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's going to have to be quickly, I think Nikola Tesla, who was from the 1800s, I think he was just such a smart mind, someone like him or Einstein, for example, uh, probably someone like Elon Musk. And Nikola Tesla, Elon Musk, and oh, I'm trying to think who, who you really, really want to bring or someone, someone like a Rockefeller back, back then. Or, or the third Liam, person, Liam Gallagher, just for a bit of crack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, probably just my mum as well. Just nice. to have a nice dinner with her as well. Happy days. Yeah. So yeah, like it. No, I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. Different, um, different isn't it? To, yeah. To... No, I think with the with the stages, like I'm not a massive fan when there's loads of mods and loads of people on there because it's just noise, and um, I don't think you get. I don't think you get as much value sitting in the audience, if I'm totally honest, as being a yeah. moderator. And I think uh, being a moderator is the key to to making Clubhouse work for you and your business. I yeah. think if you're in the early stages of your business, then you need to maybe dip into Clubhouse to get some knowledge, but don't mm-hmm. waste all day doing it that you don't end up taking any action, you know, because you can probably find that knowledge that's been offered on YouTube videos, Google, and various other places as well. So, um, but yeah, listen, it suits everyone, and that's why everyone's well, liking it. Got one more question for you. Who takes those great photos of you when you're sort of sitting there on the phone, you know, sort of? <laughs> yeah. My uh, 
my, my lifestyle photographer. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what I do. And this is a tip for anyone wanting to mass produce content. So um, everyone kind of says to me all the time, you're all over Facebook. You're all over Instagram. Like, how do you post all that sort of stuff? For one, it all gets scheduled. And, um, okay. you know, it, that, that's one thing. But what I do is I do a production day probably once every four months. And okay. I get a team together, including a photographer. And mm-hmm. uh, we I'll pack probably 25 different changes of clothing. And then I go and, do, I go and shoot 15 or so videos, whether it be uh, around certain topics that are hot that month or whether it's just around something that we're going to discuss or just just anything in general that relates to the business and where we want to go. Um, And then from that, we then manage to create, we create long form blog posts, YouTube videos, Instagram reels, uh, Instagram quote cards, Facebook posts, Facebook videos, and all from those 15 videos by just repurposing them in various different contents, picking the bits and bones out of it. And then that gives us about four months worth of content. All the lifestyle images whilst we're doing the the production get taken. And so they're in the background taking all the pictures. So then you've got probably over a thousand pictures from that that day. And obviously we move and change locations and stuff. So it just gives you one day out of my life and I've got four months worth of content. And then my team schedule is, is, is like, Wow. You know, because that, that is like when people think, like, how do I produce as much content as Ryan? Oh, tomorrow I've got to go do some photos. Oh, Wednesday, let's go to stand outside a nice house around the corner. Oh, crap. You know, I've got to do this and that. What you basically are doing is you've re-engineered it where you're just really making use of one whole day because you can't get a photographer every day. So yeah. you're just thinking, OK, if I get a photographer one day, what can I achieve in one day? Yeah, so I think that's fantastic repurpose i might sell that should put together a program for that <laughs> yeah because like, that's the thing isn't it is like where do i get a photographer from how do i repurpose that content that, that's what that's what you're you you've sort of nailed that sort of uh you've really sort of okay let's start here and then you've worked it really well you know you've sort of um you've got all this content and then you're thinking well, i've got all this content let's yeah. make a list of all these things we can produce let's get it, just get it. it. yeah it's very good. very clever Cool. All right, buddy. I'm gonna have to shoot. I'll um I'll speak to you later. And um, thanks very much for coming on board. Awesome. Great to talk to you. Check it. Thanks, Thank buddy. You, bye, bye.